Hello, and welcome to Parkinson's Life, the award-winning podcast offering a voice to the global Parkinson's community. Each episode, we bring together people impacted by the condition for an honest conversation to share their stories, perspectives, and ideas on how to live well with Parkinson's. In this episode, four guests join us virtually from around the world to discuss the ways life has changed during the pandemic, how they have managed, and the lessons to be learned from COVID-19. Our first guest is Jens Grieve from Germany, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2013 and who, despite the challenges of the pandemic, has found solace in rediscovering family time. He is joined by Claire Addison from the UK, who has experienced the pandemic from contrasting angles as a neuroscience specialized nurse who has herself lived with Parkinson's since 2016. Alongside them is Fulvio Capitano, an Italian based in Spain who has worked hard to overcome the condition's obstacles through lockdowns and social distancing mandates. And Marin Neumann-Auchton, who joins us from Germany, shares why the connections she has seen being made during the pandemic help her to feel optimistic about the future. This episode was sponsored by pharmaceutical company Kiowa Kirin International, whose mission revolves around a commitment to life. I'm, I'm Jens. I live in Berlin, Germany. I am 53 years of age and I have Parkinson's since 2013 diagnosed, but, but I knew it since 2012. And I'm living with uh, four children, two girls and two, two boys, 12 and 14, 16 and 20 years age. And um, I am currently working for the UVDU Foundation and for the UVDU. And we, which is an organization that uh, is advocates for Parkinson's and uh, does all kinds of innovations and uh, top themes in this field. My name is Claire Addison. And I live in Oxford, which is just south of London. Um, I am 56 years old, so a little bit older than you, and was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease about five and a half years ago. Um, so I live with my husband and I've got two children, one who's left home now, is working in London and the other is uh, is living at home with us and we have a dog and two cats we live in the countryside and I work as a nurse I've worked as a nurse since 1983 um, and uh, actually quite ironically specialized in neuroscience nursing so I've spent many of my years caring for people with Parkinson's disease and other associated neurological illness and have a great interest in that I have an uncle with quite advanced Parkinson's disease and my mother um, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease about three years ago too and she's just about to turn 90. So I have Parkinson's all around me. And you've dealt with it professionally as well, so that, that, that's amazing. So you, you, you have so much experience in this this disease and, and then later you, you've been diagnosed yourself. Yes, I have that, that unique position of having the experience of both sides of the fence, if you like. But But, but that must have been quite if I may say so, astonishing to, to, to work with this with disease and then, 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 then to be diagnosed yourself. Yes, it was, a, it was a shock and I suppose I should have spotted it sooner perhaps, but you don't, you don't believe. I think when you're a healthcare professional, you don't actually believe that you're going to get sick. You feel like you're a little bit immune from, from illness because you're the caregiver, but actually that's really not true, true at all. Uh, my name is, is Fulvio, I'm Fulvio Capitanio. Uh, I am living in nearby Barcelona since uh, uh, half of my life. 
but actually I'm uh, born and raised in Italy, in Rome. So I spent half of my life in Rome and then the other half of my life in, in, in Spain. And uh, the second half is the one with, with, that come with Parkinson's because <laughs> since uh, I was diagnosed in 2007 uh, uh, from, with Parkinson's disease, I also had symptoms before like everybody else. And now uh, here, here I am, uh, very, very happy to, to, to meet you and to know you. My name is Maron. I'm from Germany. I'm living in the middle of Germany. I'm a retired veterinary. I'm living with my husband now in retirement since one year. And I stopped working the year before. And now I'm here and I'm diagnosed about 15 years ago. And I'm gone through the DBS four months ago. Jens, what's been your experience of the pandemic? I, I, I try to remember, you know, it is, it's, it's almost one and a half, almost two, two years ago now that it started. It's amazing how, how, how long we already lived with it. And when, when, it, when it first started, I was, I was very calm. And, and the first reaction from, from my side was I have to protect myself and my family from, from getting infected. Number one for myself, because I, one of my symptoms is when, when I have the bradykinesia, the slowness of movement, this affects my, my breathing as well. And I knew that, that COVID-19 would, would, would be terrible for the lungs and for, for, for breathing. So, so we, we kind of very early on, before lockdown and stuff like that was even discussed, we decided that our children would only be allowed to have one friend over in general. They have to decide who, who that would be. And this, this was the one who had the only person that they were allowed to meet. And, and so, so we, were, we, were, we were quite sweet from the very beginning. And that, that was a, a very heavy change in our life. The social life changed. But that I, I felt was necessary to protect particularly myself. So how did you change your lifestyle in terms of accommodating the lockdown and protecting yourself? How did that impact on what you would normally do and the way that you managed your Parkinson's disease? What, what we normally do did was we, we, we did have quite a lot of invitations, social invitations, and that was all over from, from one minute to the next. And, and we didn't have guests over and, and, and we, we didn't accept invitations anymore. And in, in terms of Parkinson's, we, we, at that time, we had just started a ping pong table tennis group, very effective sports to hold the symptoms of Parkinson's at bay. And, and this group had to stop what it was just established. And, and then all of a sudden there, there came this ban and the lockdown in Germany as well. You can't do that online, can you? <laughs> yeah, actually there are uh, virtual table tennis groups now. Play, playing with VR, but at that time that wasn't an active threat. Yeah. How was it for you? Well, it was, it was interesting because I was working clinically, so working in the hospital when the pandemic hit, and I had that very extraordinary situation where I was um, part of the team that was preparing the hospital for what was anticipated as a tsunami of very sick people, changing the way the hospital worked. But amongst all the information that was coming out that people like you and I needed to protect ourselves as part of those that might potentially be very vulnerable. And so I found myself actually being sent home by the hospital management as part of those group of people who were potentially vulnerable. Um, so for the first um, probably eight or nine weeks, I was at home and I had to eke out a, a role that I could 
deliver support and help in a different way remotely. And I, and I did, and I found things that were important to do around the sickness management, around roster management, about, about psychological support. But it wasn't the same, and it felt I felt bad. I felt guilty for being protected at home when they were out there, you know, fighting the war, so to speak. I worked very hard with my consultant who at that point was doing a lot of research into what was coming out of the new COVID data. And together we decided um, when we looked at uh, many of the people with Parkinson's that had been admitted under his care during the pandemic in those early stages, that many of them, although they had been very sick, those people were one people that were at more advanced stages of their disease. And we kind of did a kind of quick and dirty risk assessment and decided that if I adhered to all the PPE requirements. If perhaps I wasn't completely clinical um, all of the time and I put in place all the right sort of measures that actually it probably would be safe for me to go back. So after eight weeks, I did go back, which was a great relief to me and enabled me to contribute in the way I needed to. You in England have been a bit ahead of us. So so we, we got some experience from, from Great Britain. Where, where, where the virus was, was spreading earlier and heavier than in Germany. And by that time, I, I, I was in a group of an exercise group, an online exercise group, at which some British people were also active. And one of, one of the, the, the women that I did my exercise together with via Zoom, she explained to me that some, some of her friends had died, just died. I think when you start to feel that it's really, really affecting people, then it brings it home to you, doesn't it? And we, um, we lost a couple of staff members over the pandemic and colleagues and, and people that we knew and, um, and dear friends lost their parents. And, you know, that was really, really, really hard. And it really, really brought it home to everybody. I think one of the things that I found very frustrating was when I saw people who weren't taking it seriously and I wanted to kind of grab them and bring them to the hospital and show them what was actually going on in our intensive care units. The, the, the really odd of the pandemic was uh, all this uh, uh, continuous state of, uh, of alert, of anxiety, or taking care of what you, you cannot get out of your house. You can do your, your walking routine. You cannot do your exercise because you cannot attend to the, to the, to the gym. It's, uh, everything, it's like your world is crashing you on, on, on you. And uh, if you add this, you, you are the two, go through this alone and this is, was really uh, the few months where they were really a, a nightmare yeah that i believed it because it was not only social distance it was physical distance there too people are afraid of touching each other they are afraid to getting nearer and that's what we as parkinson's patients need just a physical Near. Sometimes you only need to have a tip on your hand to walk further on. And that was so hard during pandemic. I think it was really a hard time and we reached the limits of our personal strengths. Uh, it's, I, st I still remember when what it was like when they, they on, on TV they announced that they were going to be closed for at least two weeks. And this, this at least, it sounds to me, we're going to be a long time. And my wife got the COVID in March of 2020. So she's been out at the hospital. I, I couldn't see her. I stayed alone at home. We can, we can talk just one for a few minutes every, every once a day. 
you don't have no you can speak to the doctor because you can stay there you can you can talk with them it was a very hard time for me and it's made me made me feel more anxious more nervous at this you know what it, what it's like for people with parkinson not being uh, uh, calm it's exacerbate your all your symptomatology and uh, the, all this stress added to the to the um, the condition it makes you feel very very bad yes i believe that and i could feel what your emotions were at that time if you are locked down and stay calm your symptoms getting much more worse and if you are allowed to move and to do things it is much better for for us so that's that's the biggest point when we are locked down and for for some reason for your head it is better but not for your movement and even the mood i i, I think we, well, we are i don't know if it's if it's your experience but it's mine i since i have parkinson's uh, i i need to be more stimulated to do things uh, i like i know this apathy which which uh, which is like a, like a cloud over your head uh, that, that you have all day if you, if you don't some see somebody pushing pushing you or stimulating you to do things Claire, how were you able to stay well during the pandemic and, and did you did you introduce any kind of new habits or, or rules that, that helped you through this time we're, we're very very fortunate because we live in a beautiful rural area so the kind of the notion whereby i was um, stuck at home for a while and my husband was also now working at home not commuting into london anymore and our ch children were at home studying online it created a whole opportunity to kind of revisit home life and how that would work um, so we my husband's very keen on on exercise and I try to adhere to it as much as possible so we expanded our gym facility at home we uh, invested in a, an exercise bike and we already got a rowing machine and we became quite um, organized in our exercise it became very much part of our daily routine we get up in the morning We didn't have the distractions of other normal expectations of school runs and the doorbell ringing and all that sort of thing. So we could actually structure things. So we became much more organized. Um, we enjoyed walking an awful lot more. We have a, a dog, so we were able to do that together. Um, we were able, to, when we were allowed to meet with one or two people outside of the home, we would do that as much as we could socially by walking in the countryside. Um, so we took a lot more time ar around planning our lives and, and, and enjoying ourselves. I can tell this is exactly the experience that we had. Number one, we, we are in the lucky position that, that we have a huge garden. And there was a time where we, we, where we were not allowed to go out on the street anymore. The lockdown was so severe, but we had our garden. And we experienced the same thing. All of us were more focused on ourselves, on family, And, and we kind of uh, really discovered ourselves as, as a group. And, and about the exercise, the same. We, we have, we have an exercise room in the, in the attic, and, and uh, we, we, we also de developed this further and, and, and had our exercise together. So sometimes there were six people in this room, and all of them were exercising. And this was, this was, this was quite a fantastic feeling. And we learned, we, we learned from each other and, 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 and watched out for each other. And, and so, so this was a, quite a nice time. I think it made us reconsider our social connections as well, because we uh, started to realize that because we're quite sociable beings, we weren't seeing people in the way that we used to. So that made us use the online 
tools that were becoming more familiar to us now. When we learned about Zoom, there were other kind of platforms that we could use. And we started to develop uh, kind of quiz nights with our family and friends. The people that I used to do exercise classes with then put their exercise classes, my Pilates classes went online. But what was really interesting for me was over that time, was that uh, the kind of geographical barriers started to break down, whereas before you would meet with people that you could technically face-to-face meet with, but now you could meet with people that were the other side of the world. I think it's also um, created a bigger divide, really, between the Parkinson's community because there's still a lot of people that haven't got access to technology. And so those people that were perhaps a little bit isolated are now perhaps even more isolated. And I think we've, we've got to do a lot more now to support our own people, our own members of our community who aren't connected in the way that they need to be to benefit like we've been able to benefit. Uh, uh, Absolutely. I wanted to say that that, uh, the the, the privilege is not only in terms of technology, but also, of course, mostly in terms of medication. We we must not forget that there's a huge number of of people with Parkinson's who don't have access to, to the medication that we have. And this is a, this is a, this is a totally different disease than how you experience it. I'm grateful every every moment that I'm taking my medication that that, that, that they are there. Recently, my wife bought them. I ordered them, and she always picks it up from from the pharmacy. And they didn't have them because they said we, we are running out of this because there's some some of the of the, of the materials is, 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 they have difficulties in in the supply chain. And I realized, wow. If this would happen that, that I'm running out of medication, I was really scared. So, so, so I ordered to try to, twice and triple the, the normal amount to, to, just to have it in stock. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Shortages are scary when they happen from time to time, but the, unimaginable not to have anything at all. So, for you, please tell me how you manage your daily routine during the pandemic what did you do to move on uh what's what's difficult because it was just something that happens overnight we had you have to change your life completely from the from the friday to sunday it was something like a a, a, terror, a horror movie a zombie movie uh, kind of, uh, of outset uh, but this is but it was just uh, Kind of a placebo. Uh, the, the dog was a placebo because he, you can. I cannot do what uh, I, I used to do, which was walking for for a few few kilometers and during uh, during my my my, my gym routine. Uh, doing that, you can do it at home, but it's it's not the same. You you have this lack of motivation of doing by yourself and do it at home. I said, okay, I wanna I wanna this time on Monday we'll do this on Tuesday I'll do that. I just would just. Good intention because after one week you 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 don't do it, but you have to find the motivation to restart again at any moment. It's it's a kind of a daily battle. Uh, I was your your daily routine. When I stopped working one year ago, lockdown started, and because I I never wanted to do anything else than to be a veterinary, that meant to me that I take that lockdown as a good thing for me, for self-isolation. I don't want to think about what is going on over the street and what did they, they do, what did they do now? And so I, I took that opportunity for self-isolation and it took me 
some months to get over this. I had the opportunity to to think just what I need. And that was the first time in my life I was focused on myself. The other time I always was running and running and running and doing things more than I should do. I agree with you on this because it was a, a, a we had a chance to to maybe to re rediscover uh, some routines or maybe to restart uh, maybe start reading again you can or restart some some uh, some which hobbies or or the, the, you don't have the time to to enjoy it off uh, be, before but it's just it's, uh, I know it's it's what's the kind of roller coaster uh, of emotions because you have uh, maybe one week you feel high and you feel high of spirits you everything runs well but then you Uh, I don't know why you just going going down the hill and then, then, then from one day to another you start feeling kind of I don't want to use the word depressed because it's not it's not that that hard but you feel like apathic you you lost you lost interests on what you just were passionate about two two days ago it's a, a, a bad combination uh, Parkinson's and, and lockdown I think we are allowed to be sad about our own situation as long as we go further on then. Because for the others, oh, take a pill for your depression. No, I don't want to have a pill for that depression. I'm allowed to be sad about my situation. And I'm allowed to deal with that. I'm allowed to cry in front of others. As long as you don't stay on this emotion, on these feelings, because it, it, as long as this, these feelings Uh, start to affect your your daily life. That this your this this is the problem. You just uh, uh, forgive forgive yourself to for being for being sad, and let's keep moving, keep moving on. I'm doing now education for Parkinson's. I had a good network for that, and I I like to educate people about that. How you feel, how you look, how you see the world. And that is so important because we are not. The only one who has Parkinson's, there are so many people and there will be so many people. And for me, it is so important to educate about that. We don't have, we don't have to apologize for, for, this, for this condition. It's, it's what it is. Yes. You're listening to Episode 7 of Series 2 of the Parkinson's Life Podcast with Jens, Claire, Fulvio, and Marin, funded by Kiowa Kieran International. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform to hear more from the series. One of the, the reasons I started to um, my activity on, on Parkinson's on, 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 on the net was about, because back in 2007, Uh, in, uh, there was a lot of, of information available over the internet, but just in, in English, and not even in Italian or even in Spanish. So it was a, it was a lack of information. And uh, of course, not everybody is, is fluent enough in, in English like to read papers about, about Parkinson's. So together with a, a group of uh, young PD fr friends, we started with a, like a support group and then it, it, it ends up in something much bigger. It was Unidos contra Parkinson. So we start to uh, uh, provide reliable information, uh, translated from, from English to Spanish and making available to, to people. So it makes the, this group uh, uh, grow 
faster, very fast in, in, the, in the couple of couple of years, and turned out to to be uh, uh, splitted in different initiatives. So we have a support group for young people, young people with Parkinson. We had another group who was uh, uh, devoted with more for women because they, we, we we had different way to uh, problems to from from young men. Now we had we are reached about uh, more than one thousand members, and at, at, at the moment, back in time, so, but it, 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 then it evolves in in a group, in an initiative which is run for Parkinson's, which is been uh, running uh, as let's be the run for during ten years, and there was one of the of the, the things that it suffered from from the, the pandemic was we just uh, it's about, it was in a uh, schedule every year in, in April and May, and it was just in March where we have to stop stop. I'm, I'm dying to, to, to restart with the run for Parkinson after two years of stops because it was something that really uh, gave me a purpose and, and uh, on, on my daily life because it's, it's, a, it's something that you have to uh, set up and organize along, along the year. And uh, I, I, I do miss this, this activity now. Yes. Over, over, over the time, I, I focused on things what I have done before and I'm an artist, not a very good one, but it's my my passion to paint. And the time flow by when I'm painting and I don't know how much time will pass till I'm ready with my picture. While that pandemic puts me away from, from exhibitions we planned, I started to, to consider what can I do and I then I focused on a virtual gallery. And over that, I came in contact with the Parkinson's Art Association. And therefore, I found many people who are doing the same thing. I was named as a um, Parkinson's ambassador for Europe. And that pushed me up again. And I was so, so happy about that. And over that way, I I get to know so many people, and I'm going to to educate now with with that idea, and found people again for that education of Parkinson's. Cool, very interesting. Now, on my side, just as a closure note, uh, just to say that my my wife learned that the people with Parkinson used to when they diagnosed used to start to to write. Uh, books or, or diaries to paint or to sing. She said, "If you can write, if you want to write or paint, do whatever you like. But please do not start singing because I'm very bad at it." And she 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 said that I'm gonna I'm gonna file for divorce if you start singing. <laughs> so prove her wrong and sing brilliant. <laughs> we have to slow down our tempo, but we have to move on. That's that's what I want to do and. That's the important thing. Don't stop to be active because our Parkinson's is um, is not a thing to um, to cut our head off. It's still working, and it's 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 a motion disease and not a brain disease. Jens, how did you um, manage to kind of maintain your care and your access to medication and things during the pandemic? Actually, I'm 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 a, a patient who is quite independent. I'm 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 doing a lot of the of the medication setting on my own, but at that time, I, I was running in, in into a very difficult 
period. In the, in the eighth year of the disease, I developed a kind of a sensitivity to levodopa that, that caused speech disfluencies. And I was, I was stuttering terribly. And, and sometimes I was not even able to bring out a word correctly. So, so I, I was in a terrible state and as a person, as a father of four and, and actively communicating and someone who always likes to talk and discuss things. This, this was the, the, the worst thing that could happen to me that, that my language w w was dying and, and I was, I was feeling and realizing that, that I, that I talk less because, because it was, it's, it's such a burden to have this speech disfluencies. And at that time, I, I was really in having trouble to find the right, the right medication. And I, and I, I went into a hospital, I changed the doctor, and I went into a hospital where, where they brought me completely down to zero. So, so I, I was withdrawn and, and for, for a week or so, so I, I was completely down. And, and then they slowly built up a new medication regime. And at that time, we were still allowed to visit the hospital and to leave the hospital. So, so during the day, I could take a walk in the park or something. And the very day I was, I was released with the perfect medication and, and no speech disfluency whatsoever anymore, the, that very day, the, the rules in Berlin changed to that, that, that you were not allowed to, to, to visit the hospital anymore and you were not allowed to leave it. So if, if, if I would have been there two weeks later, it, 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 would, it would have been quite a different experience. I, I was lucky that I was, I was just finished with this period of, of, of medication adaptation during a time where it was qu quite liberal. That's interesting. So for me, I, my, my kind of connection with my contact with my healthcare team has fortunately just needed to be its routine appointment. So those have become online or by telephone. And whilst there's been, there's always tremendous benefit in seeing somebody face to face you can certainly cover some ground online or I'm using the video conferencing or the telephone, but I've not found those appointments as rewarding, it's probably the wrong word, as uh, beneficial to me as possible. I've not felt that I've been able to always articulate exactly how I'm feeling in the way that I would have done if they were, people were able to see me as well in the flesh and be able to assess me properly neurologically. So the telephone appointments have been good because they've given us connection and I can see that in the long term, telephone and video appointments will become part of our means of keeping in contact with our medical teams in a kind of blended a blended approach. There's definitely a place for it, but it doesn't completely replace and shouldn't completely replace the face-to-face -face, uh, contact that um, you know we know and we know and love. But I think there's a lesson too for healthcare professionals if we're using that medium. There are best ways in answer, asking those questions in order to tease out the best information in order to make the best clinical assessment with the facilities they have at the time. And I think we've got to learn more about how to do that better in healthcare. Have you had any telephone appointments? No, no telephone appointments because we always did, did Zoom. So, so, so I, I did the Zoom meetings with, with my doctors and, and this just works, works perfectly. And also I'm preparing graphs always. So I keep, keep track of my symptoms by, 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 um, creating graphs and, and, and they show pretty precisely how, how the inter interrelation between levodopa intake and, and movability and, 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 and speech fluency and other symptoms are. And these graphs help my, my doctors to, to have a, an idea of where I stand be beforehand. 
Although sometimes I realize that they, 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 they don't really look at it. But this happens in, in face-to-face meetings as well. But I think additionally to what you just said about, about um, that we will see more of, of this remote contact, I think what's essential is that, that we find ways to measure the symptoms objectively. Because we, are, we often don't recognize interrelations and, and correlations and even causes that, that, that are obvious to, to, to a neutral observer, but we, we are just blind to it. And so I think it's, it's, it's mandatory that we develop further the camera systems that already exist that, that can translate, detect movements, and, and they, they can detect precisely variations of movements. They can kind of define what is a normal movement, and they can detect precisely that these are some abnormalities in, in, the, in the movement of the joints or in the position of the joints and in the movement of your muscles. And also the, the, the aspect of, of symptom trackers in the, that you carry on your finger or on, on your wrist or on, on your ankle, and that, that unobtrusively um, track the, the movements of yourself. Yeah, that sort of data collection is going to be the future, isn't it? It's already becoming uh, an essential component of uh, disease management. So what is your experience with your health care during that time of lockdown? This part, uh, it was not such a big difference because I used to see my neurologist twice a year. So it was no, it's no big difference on this. The, the, what's, what was really a little bit more more, more um, uh, odds was to have in a, a contact with your with your physician with your with your family doctor because they, all, all this uh, all these services they were collapsed by uh, covid uh, covid calls uh, so it was like uh, uh, almost impossible to get a, a date for, for, to to have a, a schedule a visit to which was were close to only to have a, a phone consultation it was really complicated but what, strictly about about Parkinson's, it was it was wasn't that big change. It's a bit di different to my experience because my doctor and my neurologist at the clinic, they both started with telecommunication. They haven't done it before, and they thought it's a good opportunity to start it. And so, with my normal doctor, we we did the first step to telemedical. So it was quite interesting. And it's a bit like we both are talking. It is a good way, but it is not the best way, I think. I think I have to face my patients and I have to to touch them for, for some investigations. And that won't be able over, over Skype or things like that. Of course, te telemedicine is, is not is not the be the best solution, but it's it's the most you can have instead of when you when you are, you have nothing or like like the other option. Also, when the pandemic is, will be over, this is something that's gonna last because there are a lot of people that cannot have easy access. It's a bit hard to ask the right questions from the doctor's side, and you have to answer the right answers. Because if you put some symptoms away or something is not as you should tell, that would be hard for the doctor to do the right diagnosis. I think it's good to see you face to face. The improvement of the telemedicine should be 
that you could have more frequent access to the neurologist. Because as you said, uh, you forgot things. Because if you see your doctor once every six months, what do you report at the end of, this, of the day? You, you report or the, the thing that happens to you in the last two weeks because you, you have it fresh in your mind. Or just report the the, uh, the 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 worst episode that you had maybe two months ago because you break you fall, you have a fall or you break your 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 leg so you, you report this one but you, you are not able to report what was the the during this the, the, the while six months because it's a lot of uh, it's a wide range of time but if you had the chance maybe to to, to talk with the with your neurologist every every two months maybe just for a shorter period not 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 one hour maybe 15 minutes but every two months you could have a more fluid conversation more fluid reporting of your of your symptoms this is something that uh, telemedicine should be the the, the complement it should not be an alternative do you have some experience with telephysiotherapy yeah this is one one of the few things that we could partially um, uh, say from Our, our my daily routine was the the physiotherapies online. Of course, not the the, the not the massage, not the, the manipulation because you don't you don't have contact. But it was useful because it, it gave me a, a, a motivation to 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 be online at that time to follow the the of the, the the lead of of the of the physiotherapist to do my exercises. It's a, it's a, I think it was this this little spark that um, sometimes we need to. To start, uh, to start the, our, our, to start our, our engine. Also, the, the, the speech therapies we could do something o online as well. Um, uh, we could to, to uh, still do it once a week uh, uh, speech therapy uh, with uh, with a small group of, of, of people, which we still save from from the the, the, the activities we, we used to do before pandemic. There's, there seem to be um, quite a lot of emergent technology now that's out there to help support us with our Parkinson's. Is there anything in particular, any tools, any IT that you find really helpful for monitoring and managing your disease? I, I'm, I'm using the, 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 the watch, which is very important for me to, to keep track of, 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 my, of my steps and, and, and all these things and my heart rate. And so, so, so there's this... this uh, Sports was the Apple Watch in this case is 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 enormously important for me. I really rely on this. I, I think that there's there's an enormous um, leapfrog about to come in, the, in this field, but the, but at the moment there, there are not 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 so many um, technologies that I would say, except from the Zoom and the conference systems, which, which is very helpful. I think my experience is the same. I use Apple Watch to monitor my uh, movement and my exercise each day. It's very valuable. It's very encouraging. Keeps you on track, doesn't it? And and I think, as you say, there'll be a whole explosion quite soon of, of opportunities and options for us to, to track our disease, which will perhaps feed into our patient portfolio, our, our, our information gathering that our, our, our um, consultants can access as part of their, their disease management and strategy, I suppose. So, Fulvio, could you tell me what your meaning is about technology and Parkinson's? Did it change during the the isolation of COVID? I believe that uh, the technology itself didn't have, didn't change. But what it changed uh, a, a lot, I think, it's the perception of the the medical provide the medical providers and, the, and even the, the people with Parkinson's 
to, to use the technology which is already available. Because until now, uh, from both sides, they were a little bit reluctant to, to be get, get more into this because of the, this, they, they still prefer the face-to-face visit. I prefer to go to the, to the doctor. I want to talk, talk to him. I, I believe this is, this is an important part, but we, we are missing a lot of, uh, of information which could be available from both sides that we can help people with Parkinson to self, uh, to for self care and the, the, and the, from the, the physician side and the, the neurology side to have more detailed information about what, what is going on with, with their patient. But it's something, it's, it's, it's a, a huge field that it's going to be, to, to be, to be boosted from, from, from pandemic during the, the next years, I guess. It is a good opportunity for us to go further on to have a good network and to do some education and to be um, better monitored. Another, another thing that we, we don't want to, to, to forget is the, the, the clinical trials, the investigation for, for new medicines. Because having a, a, the, one of the problems the clinical trials have to, is to compare data, to compare experience from different patients because they are, now they are based on the, on the clinical evaluation of, 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 the, of the neurologists. Uh, what about if we introduce, beside the clinical evaluation at, at the side, the, what it's a, a more objective evaluation done by uh, devices uh, that can offer more detailed data for investigate and to uh, to evaluate uh, new drugs or new or new treatment, but much better than we were doing now. So this is th- these three fields. Are, I think it's uh, the most important opportunity for te- technology. And people with Parkinson, but we, we as a patient, we must be there because we we, we need to to be the, the ones who give the, the the more important leads and the inputs to 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 have, to, to have back what we want and what to have back what we need. Technology is really helping people at home though live more independently, isn't it? The things like uh, you know the Alexas and for pill remindings, alarm systems, um, kind of falls detectors, all of those things are really. Uh, enabling people to and will continue to enable people to live much more independently with their Parkinson's in a safer way. I think in in general, we we must say that the pandemic shows us that that, that we are still very vulnerable. The virus has a huge impact on all people in the world. We are are, are not, not just a small group having Parkinson's. No, we, we are only a small fish in the, in the pond of, of, of attention in Brussels and decision makers, politicians, and, and who decide where the, the money goes and where, where the research takes place. We are only very small fish here, but but through the pandemic, we, we can see that, that that everyone, anyone can, 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 can be affected by this. So, so I hope that they, that they will wake up and, and we will have the chance to, to, to really invest more money and time and resources into the research after the pandemic. I think what's been really interesting with the pandemic, though, is we've seen um, how amazing research and scientific development can be accelerated when everyone works well together and everyone pulls their resources and collaborates. International barriers have broken down and people have made connections far wider than they would have done. So I think we're already, you know, from a Parkinson's perspective, we're seeing a much more cohesive and growing Parkinson's movement internationally. The voice of Parkinson's is getting stronger because people are more connected. And with a louder voice, 
surely we can start to galvanize um, the, what, what is evident as the, the ability to make huge technical and medical advances with collaboration. What I see very positively is, is the fact that, that the tech giants are active in the field of, of, uh, of research now, like the Apple and Google and Microsoft, IBM. And, and we, we see a convergence of, of, of uh, technology, leap jumps, and, and data uh, storage, data, data analytics, and, and of course, also all kinds of, of, of pictures that, that you can take from the brain. And, 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 and this is all, in a, in a sense, coming together now. We are in, in a period of time, also, also the, the, the non-technology things like medicine and, and, and the strongness of, of, of your beliefs and thoughts. You see soon a time where, 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 where all of a sudden there, there will something, something will be there from, 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 from an unexpected corner, I, I think. But in the meantime, speaking as a healthcare professional, our focus has still got to be on caring for people with Parkinson's, about making sure that our healthcare professionals understand much more about the disease, that they understand how the patients are affected and how they can support them best and support their families. Because, you know, even if there is was a cure looming on the horizon, um, we've still got years and years and years of caring for people with the disease. And, and, and it's tough. And we need to make sure that we're giving excellence and care, that people are getting their medication on time, you know, that they are being listened to and given more time uh, to express themselves and they are being supported to live as independently as possible. And the Parkinson's voice, which gets softer and softer with the disease, has got to get collectively louder and louder internationally and politically. I think if we show our aim that we are a big community, that we are not just a, a small group of people who wants to change something and put our whole effort in this, we can do things like that too. And for me, it's, it is, it is so nice to see that we can go over borders and talk together and share information and to be connected to to the groups. I think that would lead us to a much more strength we could have in that world for our our continuing with the medicals and things we need for Parkinson's. But we just started. One year is not enough to change the whole world, but we can change us and we can can make stronger connections and on that way we are and so that make me happy and optimistic that we can work on that problem Parkinson's Life magazine is produced by Speak Media on behalf of the European Parkinson's Disease Association the leading voice for Parkinson's in Europe for the latest research and information on Parkinson's, visit epda.eu.com. This episode was funded by Kiowa Kieran International, the specialty pharmaceutical company engaged in the treatment of unmet therapeutic needs. Thanks for listening to the Parkinson's Life podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review. It helps make sure others can find us. And if you'd like to share your story with Parkinson's Life magazine, get in touch through Facebook, Twitter, or by emailing editor at parkinsonslife.eu. 
Keep a lookout for our next episode and until then, take care. Take care.